Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us on this third Sunday after Trinity. And you know, there's an interesting parallel because in the third Sunday of Easter, uh, we have Good Shepherd Sunday, and now on the third Sunday after Trinity, we have kind of a hearkening back to Jesus as the Good Shepherd in those texts there, although what we have before us is just a little different. Uh, so for a summary of our readings this day in the service, I'll turn your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin where we have there that focused on Christ section, a summary of our readings in the service this day. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees' statement of judgment against Jesus is in fact a proclamation of gospel truth where our God is one who delights in mercy, who casts all our sins into the depths of the sea through the cross. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, St. Paul writes. Those who refuse to be counted as sinners also refuse Jesus, who came only for sinners. Those like the older son, who think they are righteous of themselves, will not join in the heavenly celebration over the sinner who repents and so remain outside the Father's house. Let us, therefore, be on guard against self-righteously trusting in our own merits. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Rejoice that Jesus receives sinners like us, and that he still sits at table with us in the Holy Supper, bestowing his forgiveness and life. And, of course, we do rejoice in that fact that Jesus invites sinners to eat with him, those who are repentant and those who trust in him, those who have been catechized in his word. And therefore, as we gather around his body and blood to receive forgiveness, life, and salvation, we do exactly as he bids in our word, being united in one confession and faith. And as that is the case in his word, as he teaches us, we then ask that all those joining us at the altar this day be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining us in one common orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is Divine Service Setting 4 as it begins on page 203, our first hymn, hymn number 814, we will now sing. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after Trinity is from Micah, chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. The epistle is from 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when, he has come, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear saints in Christ Jesus, I'm sure you've all heard the saying at one time or another, hate the sin but love the sinner. Well, in practice, that's rather difficult, isn't it? After all, the two go together, right? We have to acknowledge that it is sinners who do the sinning. Furthermore, when the Bible teaches us that God punishes sin it means that God punishes sinners. We learn just that very thing in the close of the commandments in the small catechism. What does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. Now what does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. The truth is, God punishes sinners. So as it turns out, it is not easy to separate sins from sinners. In fact, the psalmist says, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Hard words from Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. You see, separating sins from sinners is not just difficult. It is impossible for us as fallen human beings to do. Really, all we can do is destroy the sinner along with the sin. It's interesting to me that prisons are oftentimes called penitentiaries, as if a prison will turn a criminal into a penitent who will crave redemption. The sad fact is that prisons do not separate sins from sinners. They end up serving as a breeding ground for new and inventive ways of sinning. The only way we as human beings can separate sins from sinners is by getting rid of the sinners. We can put them away from us. We can put them to death. 
but we cannot go inside of them and tear out or remove the sin and replace it with goodness. It's just not possible for us human beings to do. But that doesn't stop people from trying, does it? People around the world and all throughout time have come up with religious schemes that will supposedly make sinners into saints. The Pharisees, well, they were masters at just that very thing. They knew what God commanded in the law of Moses. They had read everything Moses wrote about what we should do and not do. They came up with 613 commandments called the mitzvot, or the commands or commandments. 248 of them were positive requirements and 365 were negative prohibitions. But that wasn't all. They went beyond these commandments to, as they would say, make a hedge or make a fence around them. They put together a system called the commands of the rabbis that would keep anyone who followed it from ever breaking a single one of those 613 commandments. This hedge around the law included, for example, 39 different categories of things that you could not do on the Sabbath called the melachot. It was, in their opinion, a reasonably foolproof way of avoiding any kind of sin whatsoever. The Pharisees sincerely believed that they were avoiding sin by following the hundreds of rules and regulations that governed their lives. Now, alongside them were the scribes. The scribes were men who studied the scriptures. They spent hours copying the Bible. In those days, hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, Every single copy of the Bible was painstakingly done by hand, and there was an elaborate system for doing this and ensuring that no errors were transmitted from one copy to the next. If there were an error, by the way, the whole copy had to be devoted to fire. These men knew the text of the Bible. They knew that God cannot tolerate sin. God punishes sin, and that means God cannot tolerate sinners. However, something changed. Jesus came. As we read in the Gospels, he receives sinners. He joins them. He eats with them. He makes himself at home with them. And that is intolerable. The Pharisees and the scribes cannot tolerate Jesus because in their mind, if Jesus were truly a holy man, he would separate himself from sin. How can he be separating himself from sin when he expresses fellowship with sinners? How can this be? They said it could not be done. So they complained about Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, they were right about that. Jesus did receive sinners and eat with them. But they were wrong in their criticism of the Christ. Jesus was doing what their religion could not do. He was separating sins from sinners. He could do that. They could not. That's why they hated him. He could do what they could not do. That's why they would seek his death. That's why they plotted against him with the religious community. They hated the one, the only one, who could do what they could not do, namely, separate sins from sinners. That is something that only God can do. Now, you cannot separate sins from sinners by teaching sinners how to avoid sin. Now, there's an old pop song that, if you go back to the 1960s, was by a group called Paul Revere and the Raiders. The title of the song was called Kicks. It was about someone who looked for kicks by getting high on drugs. Now, there's a rather insightful line in that song, and it goes like this. No matter what you do, you'll never get away from you. That's a fact that even an unbeliever can recognize, and they do, trust me. No matter what you do, you'll never get away from you. 
And on the topic of people who trust in their good works, have you ever talked to somebody who had a so-called born-again experience and then they became so pious that they were impossible to deal with? You might know the type. This person used to do all sorts of disgusting, sinful things, but now they're different. Now they are born again and they supposedly don't sin anymore. But when you look carefully at this person, you notice that they're the same as they used to be. They have not gotten away from themselves. It's the same old sinner dressed up in pious new clothes. In fact, this is the popular image of what repentance is all about. It's the idea that somebody has a change of life experience that is rather dramatic and compelling and obvious to the world. But that is not what repentance is. And that is not what these parables of Jesus from the gospel lesson today describe to us. Repentance is not about a dramatic outward change that the world can see and therefore praise or deride, depending on the person. Repentance is about an inner change. It is a change that only God sees and that only God works. This is described in the Augsburg Confession, Article 12, which is essentially just a little miniature Bible study on repentance. It says, Our churches teach that there is forgiveness of sins for those who have fallen after baptism whenever they are converted. The church ought to impart absolution to those who return to repentance, see Jeremiah 3.12. Now, strictly speaking, repentance consists of two parts. One part is contrition, that is, terrors striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. We sang about this, actually, in the sermon hymn. The other part is faith, which is born of the gospel or the absolution, and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. It comforts the conscience and delivers it from terror. Then good works are bound to follow, which are the fruit of repentance. See Galatians 5, to 33. Now, as the Lutheran reformers noted, it is true that the Bible calls for the fruits of repentance. St. John the Baptist preached against the hypocrites who came to him with a fake display of repentance. Listen to these words recorded by St. Matthew in chapter 3 of his gospel. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God severely condemns fake, hypocritical repentance. But true repentance is not produced by the fruit it bears. Let me say that again. True repentance is not produced by the fruit it bears. The fruit is produced by true repentance. If we are to be concerned about the new life that the lost sheep will live, we must first be concerned about the lost sheep being found. When it is lost, it can do nothing but stay lost. It is not able to find its way home. And the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, they drive this point home to us quite clearly. What can a coin do? It's an inanimate object. It can't do a thing. It can only lay there under a rag in the corner. It does nothing but remain lost. Now, the lost sheep is lost because of its own fault. The shepherd goes out and finds it. And here is the wonder of it all. By bearing the sheep home on his shoulders, the sheep is no longer lost. 
Think of that. By bearing it home on his shoulders, the lost sheep is found. Repentance is being found by Jesus. By bearing the sin of the sinner, the lost sinner is found. The lost sinner is not separated from his sin by obeying a list of rules. The sinner is separated from his sin only by the shepherd bearing that sin on the cross. There is no other way. When Jesus ate with sinners and drank with them and joined their company, he was going in among them in order to take off the burden of their sin. And there was only one way Jesus could take that burden off of them. He had to take it upon himself. And that is what he did on the cross. The words of comfort that Jesus speaks to us are very specific words. He doesn't talk to us in general terms about how God is loving and God is forgiving and how there's a new life somewhere, somehow, someday. No, Jesus gives us God's love by taking on himself the hatred that God feels against sin and sinners. Jesus, according to St. Paul, was made to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus takes it off of us by becoming that sin and being rejected on the cross in our place, in your place. Jesus gives forgiveness to us, but it is in a very specific way. He shed his blood for us. Then he gives his body and his blood for us to eat and to drink in the Lord's Supper. We join him at table. We eat and we drink with him. In this way, he lets us know in no uncertain terms that we are not lost anymore. We are found. To separate sins from a sinner is a task only God can do. Yet it is a task that must be done. If not, the sinner dies. The sheep must be found. If he isn't, he dies. There's no question about that. A sheep lost in the desert hasn't got a prayer. Or, well, perhaps that's all he has. He bleats in a pathetic fashion. The shepherd hears, and he comes, and he rescues him. But the rules that are constructed to provide that hedge around the law to keep folks from sinning, those are a trap worse than anything out in the desert. The trap of works righteousness is the deadliest trap of all. You see, you think you're separating yourself from sin, but you are instead embracing the sin, taking it deep within you, and then you are dying even though you don't know it. You are looking to the religious rules as your lifeline, and these things are death and hell. Your rules you think are keeping you on the straight and narrow are instead sending you straight to hell. Do you know why? Because when you're trusting in the rules to save you, the rules teach you not only to hate the sinner, they also teach you to hate the one who takes the sin away. That's a fact. Folks, when you are trusting in what you do in obedience to the rules, you're not trusting in Jesus. You're despising him, even hating him, and you're hating those whom he seeks and whom he saves. Dear saints in Christ Jesus, we have been found, found by Jesus, not because we're so smart. If we were smart, well, we wouldn't have gotten lost in the first place, right? We've been rescued by the one who bore our sin, Christ the Lord. He bore our load. He carried us out of the trouble we created. We were trapped and couldn't get out. He picked us up and placed us on his shoulders. After all, He is the good shepherd, as we have him pictured in our own stained glass here. The angels rejoice to see it, and they rejoice every time they see it. And you know, there's really a footnote that I can't leave in the text, because Jesus says there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, but it actually says over one sinner repenting. 
It's a continual repentance that we all are given by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word. There's a continual repentance, a continual daily dying to sin and rising to new life, rising to be the baptized new creation that God has made us. And the angels, they rejoice every time they see it. And so do the children of God. Jesus separates sin from sinners by bearing the sin. Then he comes to the sinners and gives what he won when he bore their sin. Forgiveness, life, salvation. You see, Jesus keeps on giving this forgiveness to you and to all his repentant people in our need. We rejoice to receive it, even as we rejoice when others receive it with us, and so we rejoice with angels in heaven. And we remain in fellowship with God, thanks be to the Holy Spirit, with the angels and the archangels and with the dear Christian saints who are with them in heaven. This is a fellowship that will never end, but will continue into eternity where pure love and pure peace will replace every evil desire and every unkind judgment and every memory of sin. This is what our Lord Jesus has given to us. This is why we love him and why we rejoice whenever anyone who is lost is found by him. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For grace to eternally live from the waters of holy baptism, where we unworthy sinners are clothed by our Heavenly Father with the bright raiment of Christ's righteousness. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who have wandered from the safety of the fold of the church and have grieved the heart of their Heavenly Father and of their brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may return to his house and the joy of the Savior who came to die for lost sheep. Let us pray to the Lord. For godly homes, that parents would teach their children to love God, obey his voice, and hold fast to him for life. Let us pray to the Lord. For fathers of office, especially our president, congressmen, and judges, that our Father, from whom all fatherhood is named, would make their authority respected and honored by all, and lead them to use it according to its institution for the sake of those under their care. Let us pray to the Lord. For our brotherhood throughout the world who suffer persecution for the sake of Christ, that although called to endure suffering, they may be assured that God himself will restore, confirm, and establish them. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who suffer, especially Nathan Burmeister, Michael Pete, John Brenneman, Vanessa Burmeister, Charlotte Locke, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they may be strengthened by their baptism, and that the Son who therein laid them on his shoulders rejoicing would bear them safely home through their trials to the joy of heaven. Let us pray to the Lord. For repentant boldness to come to Christ's table, where he eats with sinners and receives them, that in this feast we may obtain forgiveness and life through his body and blood, let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, you crown us with steadfast love and mercy in your Son. While we live amid many troubles in this sinful world, remind us by your word that you do not deal with us according to our iniquities, but are merciful and gracious to us. Call us to repentance and faith, that we may take up our crosses daily and follow you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Well, again, good morning and welcome all of you to Trinity Lutheran Church. We have a handful of announcements before we continue on with our day. And the first of which um, I'll direct you to this uh, insert here where we have uh, years and the names listed underneath those years because today we are celebrating Reunion Sunday. So then at 11 o'clock this morning in the church auditorium, we'll have a special dinner and we will celebrate those confirmands that we have listed here uh, on this insert. No doubt you came in this morning and you're like, well, that's kind of different. Well, there's a reason for it. Uh, we um, look forward with great joy to celebrating what uh, God the Holy Spirit has done and uh, preserving us in the one true faith by word and sacrament and giving thanks for the fellowship that we have in his son. So also, uh, today, of course, we have Bible study and Sunday school immediately following service. Uh, this Thursday, we have our women's salad supper, and that is noted by the second insert that we have here which says Faith, Family, Farming, and Friends. That's the theme for this year's uh, Ladies' uh, Seasonal Salad Supper. Uh, so I'll entrust this uh, insert to you to bring all or to have all the uh, information on it there. And then some Synod news. Um, the vote for Synodical President has taken place, and President Harrison has been reelected to a fifth term in office. So he'll continue to serve the church body uh, from 2023 to 2026. And I've included there in the bulletin uh, some personal remarks from President Harrison that he shared upon uh, learning the news of his re-election. So I commend that to all of you. I uh, do believe that that brings us to the end of the announcements. Anything I may have missed? All right. Seeing nothing, God's peace be with you as we go in the fellowship of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, rejoicing that Jesus has sought us out and found us and made us God's own dear children. I'll greet you at the door. God's blessings to you all.